Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. And I was like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. And you're like, yeah, yeah, just come and hunt with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but, you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if, if you're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Foul Front, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Foul Front. To sign up, head over to foulfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. My Zoom account. Why, why are you recording right now? I, well, so I set it on the meeting to be automatic. So it would do it. So that way, like, I wouldn't screw it up. Yeah, but now there's, it's, there's more editing now. Really? Pretty sure. Hey, are you gonna do the podcast tonight? Yeah, I'm hopping on right now. All right, sounds good. All right, Mike, let's go. Oh, yeah. welcome back to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Don't call uh, it a comeback. Today, don't call it a comeback. There you're hearing from Matt Mutt. Uh, so we got Matt on the phone. We got Alex on the phone. We got Thomas, who's a little bit late. Um, 10 minutes late, actually, if we want to. It's a workout. We wanna, yeah, because, I mean, we are. We are kind of in. This is the foul front, you know, 30 minutes after shooting light uh, episode. <laughs> it's, so. it's been a minute, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, how do we want to kick this off? We're not going to be uh, We're not gonna be real structured. You're not going to learn anything today. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I think you're going to learn a few things. But it might take you listening to both episodes of this edition to really glean out the lessons learned from the conversations that are going to happen. All right, Matt, what you been up to, man? Uh, well, we've got duck season open across the whole state of Nebraska, goose season as well. So that's what I've been doing. Jealous. Uh, yeah, burning those vacation days whenever a cold front rolls through, basically. And it has been paying off big time. We were loaded about two weeks ago. We were loaded up with all kinds of ducks. 
and then it got really warm the last week and a half and they kind of went stale but uh yeah just been chasing chasing ducks trying to get green limits still haven't got one of those yet this year and doing it all with my 28 and 20 gauges how many cripples have you had i've be honest uh, let's see i've only lost i've only lost three birds on the year so far and that's it all yeah. right. What what uh what are you I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what are you shooting on the twenty and twenty-eight gauge side? So the twenty-eight gauge, because I'm limited, you know, it's a two and three quarter inch shell. Um I'm shooting boss uh five shot. And I try I just ordered another case of it last night actually, and they were sold out of the five, so I'm getting boss four shot. I but, think that's I mean, a good compromise. Yeah. And it I you know, I was the price point makes you a little, makes you cringe a little bit, but it works. Holy cow! Does it have some knockdown power? Yeah, I'm a believer. I'm with you on that one. All right. Anyways, just want to know because I mean, small gauge waterfowl hunting. I mean, I'm a so I'm a big 16 gauge believer, and I've still got a bunch of 16 gauge shells. So I like to hear the 20 and 28 gauge. And your videos have been kind of interesting on that. And it's it's. I just was curious about that because I think a lot of critics would say those gauges aren't sufficient enough to be knocking down big waterfowl. But if, I mean, if you're losing, if you're losing three birds, that's, that's well, that's like well within what I would consider to be average for those of us out there shooting ducks. So. Yeah. I mean, you just pick your shots and I, I have a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty selective shot selection or yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, I'm pretty conservative on where I'm shooting. I like to get them in as tight as I can. So, uh, it's definitely not for everyone. If you're, past shooting birds at 50 yards which i do not condone but you probably don't want to go sub gauge yeah makes sense sweet ben i guess i'll go ahead and ask you what have you been up to in the opening day of duck season across nebraska i have uh i have gone hunting for ducks twice this year once was with matt and uh yeah uh, you know but today is veterans day and i've always said this i've always said this i i like to prioritize deer before veterans day and then after veterans day i go birds um in years past i have definitely been uh a little less adamant about that rule and uh but this year i've got like a pretty neat property that i've been hunting deer on and i got I got uh, antlers on my brain, man. Um, yeah, so I, I went waterfowl hunting with Matt. Uh, shot one goose out in the sand hills. Uh, that was a pretty fun trip. Was it one goose and like at least six Coors heavies that night? <laughs> yeah, the prime rib was the best part of the trip. Honestly, <laughs> I could. That was delicious. I, yeah, I, I couldn't even finish mine. I couldn't even stay awake at the table. Man, and then so I slept. Then I, I slept outside Matt's dingy hotel room for fear of bed bugs. Oh. So I, I slept uh, in my truck right next to a hotel. I had a spare bed even. And no, they slept in their trucks. They didn't want to, didn't want anything to do with my hotel room. <laughs> Nephi, Nephi from the year mountain podcast, literally like looked in. He's like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go see if they have an extra room. And then he like knocked on the door once and just ran away. <laughs> I think, I think he rethought it. So, but yeah. Um, and then the second time I went, 
duck hunting. Uh, I actually went with uh, Mike from Kohler Blinds. Um, have you ever have you heard of this? So there, no. Kohler Blinds, uh, dude. These things are like metal pit blinds that he fabricates and puts in, and it was like it was bougie, as it were. Bougie. When you say bougie, does it include like a heater or like? Oh yeah. Oh, let's go. <laughs> it's got all really? the things. Yeah, it's got like little uh, rope lights underneath there, so you can you can't see uh, from the outside. You can't see any light, but you can like see where your shells are and stuff. Pre shooting light, and then uh, yeah, it's pretty sweet setup they've got out there. And honestly, like it it looks like a the equivalent of a golf course for bird hunting. You had like multiple pits in there. He mows the grass down. It's in like a, well, this year it was a bean field. Um, and it, honestly, it was, it was slick. He, he controls the water, he keeps it open. He's got, um, he's got, you know, well, and he's got uh, a couple ice eaters in there and it's a pretty slick deal. Damn, but those sound pretty uh, nice actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I would like really like to have that kind of setup situation in my life, but it didn't feel like duck hunting. You know what I mean? Like too bougie. Like you didn't walk far enough. Like your hands weren't cold enough or. Yeah. Literally he drove me up there on his UTV too. So I didn't walk at all. You weren't even sitting on like a bucket or something to make it feel remote. Yeah. It was, it was comfy. Oh man. Like for Kleiner blind. All right, fine. Yeah. Well, anyway, Thomas, what have you been up to? I mean, we're in the same state, so you can't have been up to a whole lot. And you haven't even talked to me a whole lot, so I can't imagine you're not inviting me to duck things. Uh-oh. Thomas I is, think Thomas is gone. Thomas is gone. <laughs> his, <laughs> like, and then, oh, by the way, for all the listeners out there, like the imagery that is frozen on our screen right now. <laughs> Uh yeah, so that's crazy. Hold on, I'm gonna screen I'm gonna screenshot that so and I'll <laughs> yeah. drop that in the put it in the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. Like Thomas is gone and he hasn't even texted or anything, so there is a strong possibility he has just like dropped off the planet. Just left us. And I guess we should really quick mention we do have a Facebook group, Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast Outdoor Group or something like that on Facebook, once again. And uh, also an Instagram that Ben kind of runs sometimes. So check out those. Yeah. You know, we've been, you know, we've been really, uh, it's been busy. It's been a busy couple of months for us. So I have to say that, you know, like, uh, between, and we'll get into a little bit more when we talk about my latest adventures and forays since I've been up here in, in Virginia, but you know, maybe, and I don't think Thomas is going to be joining us back anytime soon here because I haven't seen him like show up in the meeting room. So that's kind of crazy. We are trying a couple of different, um, recording options here as well so i take it i'm still stable ben are you still hearing me okay matt good yeah you're cutting out a little bit but not bad all right yeah thomas is just dead oh, and and nope. ben's froze not to no nah. oh, gotcha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, so i will say that uh, i guess while we're i guess waiting on thomas to show up or not um you know this past weekend i have a I'm pretty upset. So there's an early duck season here in Virginia. I did not get out one time for it. And what makes it even worse is, is that I sit 
like my my porch looks over a wildlife refuge, a waterfowl refuge actually, uh, at the end of the runway at Reagan, which is a strange place for there to be a waterfowl refuge, by the way, like a place where jets like come in low level and land, but that's where it happens to be. Um, anybody can Google it, you'll see it right there. But I, um, you know, so I had to sit there and look at all these ducks. I wasn't getting out in the early season. And to be honest, I'm not very upset that I did because this past weekend I was out brushing blinds uh, on the lease. So they, you know, they sent out the text message, some things went out on the groups and they're like, Hey, we're working this weekend. If you want to show up and I always appreciate the memes and I think we're in the full swing of it. You guys can tell me if you've seen more or less of them. You know, this is the time of year where people are asking for folks to come help on blinds and leases and nobody shows up, but here in about two more weeks, everybody's gonna be like, Hey, who's got a spot in a blind? I'm ready to come out and do things. Um, I figured I wasn't going to try to be one of those types of folks. And so I actually went out and did some work this weekend. Uh, and I've got the rashes on my forearms to prove it from the cedars, which is not a lot of fun. So, I mean, have you guys been seeing a lot of those memes? I've seen a couple already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, Thomas? Well, I want to know what – maybe Thomas can enlighten us on this. I've been seeing a bunch of memes on Skeeter Pond. Oh, the old Skeeter oh, Pond. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I guess we're going to join the crowd. We're going <laughs> to peel back this one. Yeah, Skeeter Pond. Uh, Thomas might still be dead. Uh, okay, so I can I can elaborate on this if Thomas isn't here, Ben, for you. Okay. So in Texas, there's this place called the Skeeter Pond. It's a public area or something. And pers- I don't even think they shot these ducks on the Skeeter Pond or something, but they took pictures with the sign, these four kids. And, you know, they just they, – they modeled with these teal – because it was during teal season. So they modeled these teal. They took shirtless pics with them and like all kinds of different poses and stuff. <laughs> and they posted them online on Facebook and just got obliterated by a whole bunch of people. You know, some people were just doing it for fun. Other people just really just hated them, just hated that they did that, everything. They just tore them apart. And then it became a meme so much to the point that the original kids that did it now are sponsored by some clothing company out of Texas. Yeah. They memed, they memed. They got a, they got a clothing, they got a clothing sponsorship from not wearing a shirt. Well, so the best part was, is they had the eighties glasses, like the big old shield, like, like bug shell blue tent on them. Uh, that had like the Sika trucker hat with literally nothing else on but pajamas um, with limits of birds. And so, like, I will say, if they're the ones shooting the birds, everybody else could pound sand. Like, I mean, they're out there winning, you know, by all intents and purposes of waterfowl hunting uh, and how they're doing it, I guess, might fly in the way of some traditionalists, but good for them. And so they've been posting more, too. I don't know if you've noticed this on the All Things Waterfowl. Yep. And they're posting with straps of birds. Um, hashtag Dude, winning. I'm banned. I'm banned from all things waterfowl. That's probably okay. why I don't see this. What? What's the story with this? What did you do? <laughs> As he did you spam foul front too much on, on all things? No, I'm, I mean, clearly that's. I'm so good <laughs> at promoting the foul front. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, dude, honestly, I don't even remember what I did. I got into an argument with the owner of, or the runner of the, the thing. I can't remember what happened. 
can't remember the conversation, but yeah, I don't remember what it was, but I think anyways. I covered it in a previous episode. Yeah. We talked about it. I, I do, but that is where all of the conversation has been happening relevant to Skeeter pond. And I, I think it's, I think it's pretty funny. Um, like I said, their choice of attire is individual, which I can appreciate. And they're, as long as they're shooting things ethically, then good for them, you know? And if they're getting noticed in sponsorships, then also good for them. Hey, Thomas. Sorry. I was going to ask you about Skeeter Pond. Yeah, I'd that. definitely, I'd definitely like to chime in on that. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I think, I think what's going to be interesting and I want to see this play out on Facebook is going to be the Skeeter Pond apparel wars because I've already seen, I know that these guys, the original Skeeter Pond boys are doing their own like t-shirts and stuff. But then there's also been other people who are selling, you know, t-shirts with Skeeter Pond and hats with Skeeter Pond on it. So I think there's going to be a, a little bit of a showdown. Um, when it comes to the Skeeter Pond <laughs> apparel side of things, and I, I want to see, uh, I want to see how that plays out. That will be a pretty interesting. But you know, good for them. The, <laughs> it, was it down at? Was it in Texas? For some reason, I thought it was somewhere else, but it was in Texas. Yeah, it was in Texas. Ah, fitting, I suppose. I really uh, want to get there's there's a little pond that I hunt that now I really want to get a Skeeter Pond sign just to put up there so now I can so that I can take my uh my own Skeeter <laughs> Skeeter Pond pick. You take your shirt off too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Only when only when you come and hunt with me. How much do you weigh? Uh, like one eighty five. What, Thomas? You weigh one hundred eighty five pounds. Yeah. You look I'm like six foot. I'm six foot tall. Oh. Sure. It's all in the, you're a bean pole then. Okay. <laughs> now I don't even want to, ah, anyways. Matt, Matt, what do you weigh? I'm just, I'm just curious. Oh God. We're getting into the foul front fashion show. I'm one about 160. Yeah. I'm down a little cause of duck season already, but yeah, it's yeah. about 160 year average. Man, I'm jealous of all you guys. You guys can all come hunt with me. You'll fit easily within the weight limit of my boat. I don't know, not me. <laughs> I'm over beef, here. Like, I'm, a, I'm a beefy boy. I'm, over, I'm, over, me. I was like, no, I'm I, over here in two. I'm over here like two thirty-five, two forty. Like, there's not too many folks getting in my boat with me. All right, uh, all right. Well, Thomas, what have you been up to? How's your duck season well, been? Yeah, I didn't. Well, let's see. We were in a split here for a while. Virginia's still in a split. Um, until um, November 18th. 18th. Yep, 18th. But uh, I've been able to go down to North Carolina here starting again this past weekend. Uh, their second split opened up. So um, got out there Saturday for the opener, and then I went this morning uh, as well as Monday. So that's what I've been mainly up to. Before that, I was kind of just scouting around, trying to find some new Virginia stuff. But it seems like we just keep on getting every time – uh, you know, we get a good front. We're getting pushes of birds, but we're just not holding anything right now. So, um, North Carolina has been good though. Um, you know, a lot of birds on Saturday and it's kind of died off, but uh, really cool to get to explore a new area down there. We're really jealous of your ability to jet down to North Carolina. I'm still like sitting up here. Uh, although I will say when I was out on the Potomac, not too long ago, I did see a whole bunch of gadwall and stuff. So, there's a lot. There's a, there's quite a few birds up here right now, and sea duck. So 
also the Sea Duck uh, opener was this morning here in Virginia. Although, from what I understand, it wasn't terribly productive. I was supposed to go out this weekend, but it looks like that's going to get postponed because the reports are not great, and we're supposed to have a lot of weather moving in. But that's something I'm going to be getting out on the Chesapeake and doing is some sea duck hunting, hopefully in the next two or three weeks. But it does open a little bit sooner in Virginia than the other split, uh, you know, for for regular waterfowl, if you will. Um, but it, from what I understand, it hasn't been that great. So I don't know, Thomas, are you getting out for any sea ducks this year? I don't think I am. Um, I was like, hoping to before season, but uh, I just didn't realize how much the North Carolina, how early the North Carolina season opened up. So I think I'm probably just going to be going down there. It's closer for me to jet down there than it is to head out to the coast. Makes sense. Now, now Thomas, you have some news, but I'm not sure if you want to share it or not. So I'm just going to leave that up to you. But we could be the, could this be the breaking where you break it first? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. You talking about going down to Texas? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm getting ready, getting you know, putting gear together now. But I'm going to be heading down to uh, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters here, pretty much the day before. I'll be trying to get down there the day I think the day before Thanksgiving because I'm going to be helping them film uh, some stuff for YouTube this year. Really looking forward to getting to be a part of their operation and. Um, kind of just experience what they got going on down there. And then Ben, this is where you throw a dig at Andy or Jeff. This is where, yeah. <laughs> so I need to thank, thank Ben for uh, helping, helping uh, me get this opportunity because definitely did not just come on my own. We're waiting on Ben. We're waiting on Ben. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, sw- I think I'll remain, you know, the humble matchmaker here. <laughs> well, so Thomas, be, you're gonna be in texas are you gonna visit the skeeter pond see i was looking into it i'm i don't know i have it's a pretty long drive down there i mean i think probably probably that wma has a few new visitors now um <laughs> as well after this post so i'm not sure if i want to go down and battle, hey, battle the these, crowds are these guys um would they be worthy of, you know, reaching out to them and having them on the podcast? I think, I, I think let's let it, let's leave it up to the viewers. Let's put a poll in the foul front podcast group and see if they want an interview with the Skeeter pond boys or whatever they call themselves. <laughs> not a bad idea. If it's not, if it's not Skeeter pond boys, then, I don't know if we can have them on. Like the like the soggy bottom boys, the Skeeter Pond boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just uh, too perfect. Uh, Thomas, what area of Texas are you going down to? Um, down there, up in Knox City. So, uh, like, north central area. Okay, yeah, that's a little bit. Yep. Is, it, is it in the High Plains Mallard unit? So, there's a little <clears> bit more <throat> Mallard ducks up there and everything? Okay. Yeah, uh, I think so, time. so. Yeah, they get a, a lot of geese out there. I'm really looking forward to getting to see some specs. I've literally, I don't think I've ever even seen a speck in person. So it'll be something very new for me. Uh, that'd be awesome. That'd how be much, uh, how, like, in preparation for this, uh, you know, adventure? What, mm-hmm. what have you, Jeff? Have you and Jeff Stanfield, you know, talked through any legit, like, what the goal is? 
Yeah, I've talked with I've talked with Andy about it probably a little bit more than Jeff, but I think they're they're going for more of like an episode style thing. Maybe kind of you know I think it's going to be their their own thing um, that kind of documents both lodge life and hunting life. But I think it's going to probably have some shades of like what Claudio Angaro does, you know, with the weekly episodes and um, you know just kind of trying to document everything that goes on um, with Stanfield hunting outfitters. You know, not just killing birds, but uh, the whole experience there. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I imagine like uh, uh, Duck Dynasty, a little rougher around the edges, and uh, like with actual hunting in it. <laughs> yeah, I think that would that would if we get a mix like that, I think we would uh, we're definitely on to something. Oh, that sounds uh, sounds pretty cool, and I mean, I'm already jealous because you're going to go hunt ducks in Texas. So I, I'm like just. I mean, I know you forecasted this for me when we were talking this past summer and you're like, oh, you're really going to miss Texas when you move to Northern Virginia. And this past weekend they had their opener and everybody's like bringing straps of birds in and I'm seeing all the pictures and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> they're like, oh, what have you been doing up in Virginia? And it's like, God, ah, I brushed a bunch of blinds, I guess. Uh, it's been great. <laughs> the blinds look really good. Good deal. Thomas, I'm going to be down there in December. Really? Hunt, hunting with us? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. Where's my invite yeah. been? Oh, I, mean, I didn't know you wanted to go. thought you weren't into guiding. Uh, I just, just go down there and give Poppy some crap. That's about it. Shoot some cranes. Mm, cranes. Yeah. That would actually would be kind of fun. All right. All right, guys. Alex has got a story he's dying to tell, but he's going to take four hours to do it. I mean, four uh, hours. I, like, so, I guess. Yeah. Hold on. Should, do I need hold to get on. whiskey for this? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> One second. Okay. No hesitation there. <laughs> I've listened to it three times. You've only listened wait, to it one time and, and parts. And, and we know Alex's propensity for storytelling. Ooh, I do like to tell a good story. <laughs> I like, I mean, part of me wonders, like, should I refill my beer before I get started? And then the answer is probably yes, but if let's describe what we're looking at on Matt's screen real quick, there's, you know, it's like a, a smaller apartment. I would think it's an apartment. Yeah. And there's like, alcohol bottles on the on the top of the um the cabinets like like straight up college style looks like oh. there's a pin pintail oh, up there hey those are those oh. are not just empty alcohol bottles i put duck feathers in them so now they're classy they're art classy yeah you're good yeah. <laughs> and what you, you got some whey protein and some creatine right next to your bourbon <laughs> on top of your fridge there mm-hmm yep Bachelor, how much, bachelor life. How much? Uh, how often do you work out, Matt? Not a lot lately. Uh, mainly just cardio from duck season. But in the summer, I go at least four times a week. Do you? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right, Alex. Yeah. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna suss this out a little bit. Um, so Alex bought 
Sitka waiters, guys. Not that there's oh oh Matt's. no, we've already lost that. That's already out. <laughs> Th- Thomas, are you still there? <laughs> yeah. Still okay. Here. Okay. All right. So hold on. Alex bought uh waiters, and that nothing wrong with sicko waiters or anything like that. Uh they're just very expensive. Everyone knows that. They are. But they're Alex didn't crazy. buy them to go duck hunting. That's fact. Oh. I did not buy the sicko waiters for pure duck hunting purposes. I I mean I should probably also let everybody know just for full disclosure reasons that I may or may not have bought completely into the Sitka system. Oh, nice. He yeah. went, he went ahead. Yeah. I could see like Matt, Matt's losing it. He like, we may not be able to be friends anymore. No. Okay. Just not to derail your story or anything here. I was literally just talking to with Jordan from duck gun podcast right before we hopped on here about this exact thing. I do not hate sick. Okay. I hear it's really warm. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it's really warm. I hear it's really nice. What I hate is the camo pattern. And that is just my own personal belief. I don't like the beehive look of it. I want it to look like marsh or corn stalks or whatever. And it might blend in better. I've heard, you know, it does. It confuses the bird's eyes or whatever you're chasing's eyes. I don't like the hexagons on my camo pattern. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's why I don't like sick. I do, I do have a story as a, you know, as a sub part of another one of my stories that's going to come out in all this, but I, I do think that the camo pattern has some, some real advantages, but yeah, well, I'm I, sure it does. But like I said, you know, I, I just don't like, I like my camo to look natural. <laughs> oh, this is going to be, it's going to be great. <laughs> so there's two camps, right? There's, there's, there's two camps. One camp says that your camo pattern is an effective like thing that you need to consider, right? And then the other camp is like, oh no, no, the camo pattern is for me as the hunter. Yeah. I mean, I see I see both of those. I, I can yeah. understand. I can understand it. I mean, and even if you and if, and even if you look into the sicka line, they'll tell you that between the marsh and the the timber um, that there's one of them that is for the hunter and one of them is more for like the science supported aspect and you can like pick between them. So I, I understand that. I understand like one is more for the hunter. One is more, and you know, Ben, you and I have had conversations about this stuff before. Like, Hey, sometimes we do this stuff to feel good about what we've got. And that confidence in and of itself actually helps our productivity. And then there's things that are like proven via very regimented scientific means of being more effective because of the properties they have. So, you know, I think, I think Sika probably caters to both of those things. And if you go to not just Sika, don't go to Sika, go to the Optifade because Optifade is a separate part that for which Sika just takes part of um, that has the science and all that vision and everything. But needless to say, I've bought in fully. So I'll say this. I'll just, I'll just leave it at this. If Sika would put max five or max four on any other stuff, I would definitely take some. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Man, I'll I'll tell you that you shouldn't have to wait that long because that is some high quality, uh, high quality equipment, for which I am glad that I purchased before my last adventure. So he bought it so that he could go. Can I, can I pop the bubble? Go for it. Yeah, we buried the lead, as it were. Um, <laughs> he bought it to go blacktail hunting. Blacktail? Yeah. 
I'd say oh, in Alaska. I believe yeah. it's called longtail. Uh, no, there's there's blacktail deer, and uh, I was actually I got invited. So just to 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 flesh out the whole story. So about a month ago, it's been a little over a month now. My wife was on Facebook, and she saw where one of her friends was looking for somebody to accompany them on a Kodiak grizzly bear hunt. And he put out like just an all call of sorts. Come to find out that he had a he had about fifteen people um, fall through in going on this trip with them. And so uh, he, he originally he had drawn the tag. It was a real low percentage draw tag, like five percent, I think, or, or even lower for the area in Kodiak he was on. He he won the tag. His dad and his brother were supposed to go with him. They fell through because of some COVID limitations. And then he had several other people in his circle of friends that were like interested. And then, you know, whatever else came up and then he put it out on Facebook and my wife actually responded. She said, Hey, you know, uh, either I or my husband might be able to help fill this trip out because he was on, he was about to cancel it. He was about to actually turn the tag back in uh, to the Alaska fish and wildlife. And, and I responded to him and I said, Hey, I've got a little bit of bear hunting experience and uh, you know, I've, I've got some backcountry backcountry experience. I, I think I might be able to help you out. Let's talk. So we ended up talking and I, I got myself and another friend of mine who um, very experienced in the backcountry as well. And we ended up saying like, yeah, we'll go do this with him. And so with that being said, with about a month's notice, I was invited on a nine day Kodiak grizzly trip, um, straight up bush plane, drop you off in the backcountry tent, and we're going to go out and chase these things. And so when that all kind of came to fruition, I had a lot of gear to get me through this, but I, I was lacking a little bit, I'd say from the standpoint of like true expedition quality stuff. And you know, this is how much Alex actually believes in the, uh, in the product after, you know, straight out of the box, he probably wore it around the backyard or something. But he believed in it so much that he said, you know what? I don't need a freaking sleeping bag. I'll just sleep in my waders and didn't even pack a sleeping bag. Oh, dude, we'll get to that in a second. What a terrible, terrible ordeal. So we um we end up we ended this trip comes up together. So I find um I end up getting I commit to, so after a lot of research on the panels, I found out that there was, there was a couple of different camps and I, I looked into Kodiak and they get a lot of rain a year. I mean, a lot of precipitation that kind of are subjected to several different weather um, factors. And there was, there were some professional guides there that said, Hey, you got to have rubber. Like you got to have like, no kidding, rubber boots, rubber bibs um, because it's so wet. And then there was another camp that were like waders. And, and this was a, what I would consider to be a fairly recent, you know, in the online columns where people were saying that because the Gore-Tex waders, if you look back, I mean, I don't know, Ben, how long has it been since we've had like Gore-Tex waders in the hunting scene, like durable enough for waterfowl? And I'd say it's probably only been in the last maybe seven to 10 years that you've actually had breathable waders um, for that. I mean, most of it before it was neoprene, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like there was finally some folks in the last three years that were saying that they were hunting in Sims. They were hunting in other things because of the, the, just the water and everything else. So I decided that I would use this trip as an excuse to upgrade my waterfowl gear. 
And uh, I took the leap, did some shopping, and I, I opted into the the Sika Delta Zips. And I, you know, I went ahead and I got the pants. I got the. I already had a couple of pieces from last year, but I I went ahead and got the insulation layers and the Hudson jacket and all that other stuff. Um, a lot of it I got on eBay. Like I didn't just buy new because I'm not I'm not that well off. I can't just go and drop that kind of change on Sitka.com. But I. Um, you know, I, I went for it because I, I found out and it was confirmed later when I got up to the island, actually, that most people were, were really in, they were in Kuyu, but they were in Sika and you saw very little in between. And I was really surprised about that. Even There from, wasn't anybody wearing Academy brand just rolling around? No, there was no Magellan to be found. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I was, but I was a little bit surprised on that because I, I figured you would see you know, like if you go out to our marshes uh, or our public hunting or fishing lands, I mean, you're going to see what I would consider to be a wide variety of brands of things. You know, like you go to your average public hunting area, you know, in Texas or Virginia or Nebraska, and you'll probably see everything from Magellan up to Sitka and anything in between, you know, the Cabela's brands included. And we've talked a lot about that before um, on, the, on those brands and everything. But when I got up there, I could I can honestly tell you that I saw I saw two, and that was about it. And there was not you didn't see cheap anything. And even when you went into their sporting goods stores there, they didn't carry they only carried a couple of specific brands of things, um, which I thought was was kind of interesting, you know, from a from a durability standpoint. And I could say that after I put it to the test, I I can understand why um, a little bit. So, but. Regardless, is, is Thomas still with us? He's still frozen on my screen. Is he frozen on yours? Yep. I'm still here. Oh, he's still there. So you're, yep. if you could turn your video off, that'd be great because your <laughs> the face <laughs> you're making in, on, on this screen is absolutely distracting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, I bought into it all and I, I figured that like I said, I used the excuse of, well, I need, I need, you know, I'll upgrade my waterfowl gear because it can't just all be about one trip. Right. So, um, I did, I made the leap. And Matt, what do you think? What do you think about, uh, all right. First off, Alex, are how comfortable are they to sleep in? Oh man. I'll tell you, they probably saved my life. Uh, no kidding. Like those waiters, uh, and that gear, so just to add to the context, we, so we get out there the first day. So Kodiak has got some terrible weather. It's everything you'd imagine it to be if you've watched any of the hunting shows. So I fly in on a Thursday. I do like a 16-hour a trip from D.C. up to Kodiak. I get up there. Um, we're staying at the Best Western, and the flying service calls us. I get in a day early, so I go in and get all my tags that I needed. So I was supporting a grizzly bear hunt. I can't shoot a grizzly. I can shoot ducks. Um, I could shoot deer and then small game. So I just get the tags for that when I get up there because I, w- I figured I'd have an opportunity at a Harlequin or a Barrow's golden eye, that kind of stuff. So I figured I, you know, I packed my shotguns. I packed a lot. Of, I, I bought some FUDs. We could talk a little bit about that later. I know Ben, you looked into the, the fold up decoys. Um, I ended up buying a, a dozen and a half of those guys. Did you did you look into those? 
Yeah, they don't look like they should work. Have you seen these before, Matt and Thomas? Buds? Yeah, I think he sent us a picture uh, of them. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Dude, I will tell you, they work. And maybe it's just because divers are dumber. But they also worked on a huge flock of mallards, but regardless. Um, so I, I get up there a little bit early. The Friday, we're supposed to fly out. So we're doing nine days. The Friday we're supposed to fly out was so frantic. The ceilings were low. There was a system moving in. There was a very narrow window for the bush pilot to fly us out to this lake we were going to. And so it was hurry, hurry, hurry. I had two other guys in the hunting party. The air service sends the van. We load everything up or so we think. I check out of the hotel. We get to the seaport, fly out, pilot lands, drops us off. We start setting up camp. We watch him like take off. You know, I get the video and everything of him flying off. And then uh, the guy starts setting up camp and it's blowing. It's by the way, it's 40 degrees. It's blowing wind and rain. Um, and we start taking kind of inventory and we look around. I'm like, you know, one guy's like, oh yeah, I got my pack. All right, sweet. Let's go do this. We got the tent and everything. Other guys, yeah, I got my tent. We're going to go do, or, you know, I got my pack. We're going to do everything. And I was like, well, all right, I got my cooler. I got my gun case and I got my pack. Oh, where's my pack? Like, where's my, where's my pack with all my stuff in it? And sure enough, my big um, army duffel pack that had my backpack in it with my sleeping bag, my sleeping pad, um, and everything got left at the hotel. And oh. and guys, this is this is not this isn't like all right. We'll just hop back in the car. We'll run over and get it, and it's going to be an hour delay. Like this thing's gone. <laughs> like you're not like that bush plane takes off, and and that's the end of it. Like. Yeah, I mean, that guy's coming back in nine days, right? So we had satellite phones and we texted him, said, hey, we left a bag and he texted back. So I, I did invest in the Garmin inReach system before I went out there. Um, Alex dropped like five grand on this thing. Uh, I probably dropped closer to three actually, but yes, it was not a cheap trip. <laughs> um, and then he didn't even have to get it, even get to bring most of his stuff. So we, we send him, we send him the message and we're like, Hey, we left a critical item back. This is not good. Um, and he sends back and says, all right, you know, we'll look and see. So after about 10 hours, so like, here we go. First night they set everything up and I, I take inventory of what I have because I mean, what you got is what you got, you know, you don't have anything else. And I've got the waiters I've got on. I carried a duffel bag out there with all my clothes in it. Um, and so we get, we get the tent set up on the edge of this lake we got flown into. And I was like, all right, well, I got to be pretty careful with this because I mean, no way's like I said, no way's coming to get you if something were to go wrong here and it's going to be 40 degrees and raining for the next three days. So we, we got everything situated. We sent the message uh, that first night, you know, I slept down like, all right, let's leave the sleeping bag. He sends his response back, says, Hey, I think tomorrow we'll be able to get your bag to you. They found it. It got left in the hotel lobby. Oh, great. You know, it would have been, did you leave it there or was it supposed to be like a, you gave, go ahead. Uh, you know, man, it's like, ultimately it's my responsibility. I can't pawn any of this off on anyone else. I did not do a personal gear inventory before that plane left the dock. So it's my fault. Um, I will say that the, the guys that were with me were super bummed. They're like, Oh, we didn't even think about that. We're, we're, we're sorry. (laughs) You know, like, 
but I, I, you know, I have to take some personal responsibility here. Your gear is your gear. Um, if you're going out there, you, you got to account for your own things. And, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson I took out of this. I mean, we were really hurried and Oh, by the way, like in Alaska, they're saying, Hey, we got to go now because this is what the window and the weather is to fly you out there. That's, that's no kidding. Like what the window and the weather is to fly you out there because the ceilings, we flew at 300 feet all the way out there. Like we took out and it was a 45 mile trip, 300 feet. We had to go over a couple of mountain saddles and it was not fun. It was, you know, a lot of turbulence, step planes get bumped around. Um, and we landed on this lake that was, like I said, it was, yeah, you know, I've flown, I've flown for a living in the air force and it is not, it this was not a good time. Um, and so like, it, we were pressured the whole time and at no point that I sit there and say, Oh, I should probably like account for my personal gear. You know, I, I had a lot of faith in the group and um, uh, I paid the price I think for that lack of accounting. <laughs> so did they get your, did they get your bags back out to you? So after the first night they sit there and they, they say, okay, it's going to be, we'll, we'll try and drop it off. The weather looks good for tomorrow. You know, they dropped us off on a Friday this was going to be, you know, I wasn't going to make it. I wasn't going to get it on Saturday. They said, well, we'll try to get it to you Sunday. The weather looks good. So they were, so we get in the tent and here's the other part. So the other part of this is it wasn't just my bags, but in their hurry, in the hurry to get everybody out. So it's the opening day of bear season in Kodiak. So there's all these groups. There's limited numbers of air services to get these people out to all the places on the island. I mean, the island has a very small road system and there's several units. In fact, I would say majority of the units are actually inaccessible by road and you have to be flown out to. So you have all these groups that have drawn their tags on Kodiak and they have to be flown there. And so because they have to be flown, the air services back up and anytime weather comes in, it just kind of is what it is. I mean, people aren't going to, people aren't going to be there. So you know, we're kind of one of a small group of people to get these, you know, to, to, to get ourselves out. Um, so we get there, bag doesn't make it right. Sunday says we should get there for weather. The weather, they had a big front comes in. Sunday was a no-go. So now after Friday night, no sleeping bag. The problem also was they left our propane. They didn't, we were supposed to get two big propane cylinders for our tent heater. Um, we did pack spares of those in our own gear, you know, like one pound, the little one pound deals. And we had those, we had a Mr. Heater to go in the tent. Well, the problem with the one pound deals is they only last about eight hours on low in a Mr. Heater. If you guys run any of those in your blinds or anything. Yeah. Like eight, then, yeah. Eight hours on low. And so we had three of those. Um, and so he, we were renting two of the big barbecue cylinders from these, from the air service. But in the rush, they also forgot to give those to us when they took off. So I don't have sleeping gear and we are down to three pounds of propane. And that was, that was kind of the problem is that we don't have heat or sleeping. So anyways, Sunday comes and goes, they can't get it to me. Big, you know, we had a weather systems were moving in. And so I ended up going four days without it. Now the third night, um, the first two days weren't so bad. I, you know, I slept in the floor of the tent and, uh, one of my, one of the guys lent me a sleeping bag liner. Um, everybody had different gear. So I managed to like pile clothes on me to, to make it, <laughs> if you will. Um, but I wasn't going very far from camp because it was really wet. 
And at this point, you have to kind of figure that you can't afford to get wet because you can't get dry. Um, you know, so you gotta, you gotta kind of preserve that. Um, I wore my waders. I, I, I put those waders on before we left the dock and I, I wore them probably eight to 10 hours a day. Um, before I, before I took them off at night just to get into the sleeping bag. Well, the third night we had a windstorm come in about 50, 60 mile an hour gusts. And we wake up at 1130 and I only know this because I checked my, my GPS because the tent, I woke up when the side of the tent hit my face. Um, the whole center hub of the tent collapsed in and hit my face. And I woke up and the guys in the tent were like, hey, we, we had a tarp outside and they said, we may need to like move the tarp or bring it in because this is, this is like gale force stuff here. And sure enough, we, um, we ended up going out. There was a big system coming off the Bering Sea to the north, moving across the island. And we uh, took the tarp down. I put on my waders. And that was the hardest night out there because it was 30. It, it went from like 35 down into the mid-20s. I had no sleeping gear. I put my waders on. I put every bit of my clothes on and ended up sleeping in the bottom of the tent with all of it on. I put hot hands down in the boots to keep my feet warm. Um, and I, I just like rode that night out. It was pretty terrible. Um, none of this sounds interesting at all. Um, Matt, I like, <laughs> I'm watching your reactions here and that sounds shitty. Dude, it was terrible. It sounds <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it was. I mean, when you say interesting, I mean, like maybe from a listener standpoint, I mean, I, like what I would tell you is that it it was, it was one of those things where it's, it's like the purest form of going in the outdoors, you know, like we've done a safety episode before, you know, where we talked about like, Oh, be careful because yep. <laughs> like, this is one of those things where you're in an environment you're in a place where you, if you don't account for your stuff or take care of your business, there's no safety net. There's nothing coming to get. I mean, you just have to deal with whatever the consequences happen to be. And it's not to say the air service was bad. I mean, they weren't, I mean, they weren't, they weren't bad people. Um, that, Hey, we can't get you your things. Like you're, you're in the Alaskan bush. This is the varsity level. Like we expected if you come up here, you're going to take care of your business and you didn't. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like this is all of your fault. Like I don't like you didn't, you don't put your pack onto the the plane yourself. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not absolute. I'm absolutely, no, I'm not. trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to understand how one gets onto the plane and doesn't go, okay, backpack, gun, got it. So that happens when, you know, like there was a combination of events happening. The, the, so to start with, the hotel was checked out in my name. So I needed to like check out of the hotel. We weren't sure if we're going to be coming back there that night. So I was trying to like clean up a few details in the event that like, hey, we're leaving and we may need to come back. And at the same time, there's this hurried sense of, hey, we need to go. We need to go. We need to go. Get your stuff. Go. Let's go. And in our group, it's not like we only had three pieces of luggage. You know, like we're taking out there about a thousand pounds worth of gear. So there were several bags and not just my party. Like I, I had four pieces of checked luggage going up there. 
And so like, and so did all the other guys. I mean, you figure that's 12 pieces between the three of us. And so you kind of get into this, Hey, I'm doing this. You guys are loading the van. I see the van's loaded and you trust to a certain extent that some of this stuff is being looked after when you can't look after it yourself. With that being said, I never sat there and figured it out on my own to account for it. Like I never had a stop in my plan, but it was All definitely right. rushed. I mean, I'm not excited. I'm right. not blame. So, so you went up there and you were, well, you were hunting for black bears and grizzlies. Black, or, oh. Yeah, it was for the grizzlies. I meant grizzly. I'm sorry. I got, but, and black tailed deer. Was a side piece, but then you also had a third, uh, third motive, right? And you were going to hunt some ducks while you're up there. Absolutely. I don't know. If, I don't know if we want to get into that uh, on this episode. But how did you? Did you just break a shotgun down and take it with you, or what? So I bought a Pelican, the the vault, and I don't know if I mean I got the two gun vault where I could put the I put my hunting rifle in. You know, and with TSA rules, you have to be able to lock it. You can transport your firearms and your ammunition have to be in certain cases. So I, I went online. I got a Pelican vault and it has the, it's the double gun. So I ended up making it where it would carry my 308 and it would also carry my, my Browning along with three boxes, 25 shells a piece of shotgun, two of rifle, and then one of my pistol. So I, I cut out the foam to carry three firearms in the same locked container. And that's what I ended up doing. So, yeah, I was, I was like, you know, I looked at the Kodiak duck hunting stuff and I was like, ah, you know, if we're going near water, which we have to be to, you know, in a float plane and we're going to camp near it, I'm duck hunting for sure. Like I'm not going to not do this. So, yeah, I ended up that, that kind of went down a whole nother, uh, you know, stage of planning. That was very personal. But I ended up doing that, and I ended up looking into those FUDs, those fold-up decoys. So, All right, Matt, Thomas, do you guys have any questions for Alex so far on his adventure of misadventuring? Yeah, I'm really – I want to hear more about uh, – I'm really interested to hear about the grizzly hunting. I'm not sure if we're going to get into that on this one, but oh, we're gonna I get might into be interested. It. Yeah, I want to hear uh, I want to hear how that went. I mean, that that takes uh, – I feel like that's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother ball game that and, uh, I've never even thought about. And see, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I, not to say that I don't care about big game hunting at all or anything like that, but I'm more interested to hear about the duck hunting. Oh man, we got plenty of material here. Cause I get to talk to you both about both of those questions. Um, yeah. So like starting out with this, knowing that I wasn't going to go up there to shoot big game, you know, like the black tail, that to address the deer portion of this, they had about 50% attrition on the deer population last winter in Kodiak. So the blacktail were not going to be a big factor. Um, and so I wasn't, I was going to buy a tag, but I wasn't very optimistic about my opportunities, but the ducks from everything I read, like Kodiak and I went online to the quick Google search and Kodiak is like a destination for trophy ducks. You know, it's one of those places where you'll see outfitters offering, and, and they'll say it like these are these are collector trophy hunts to go out and get your Harlequin, your Barrow's Goldeneye and and any number of other species that are available there. And so with that, not that I'd heard a lot about it, but I, I got pretty excited. 
And so I started down the road on the waterfowl hunt. So one, I knew that the gear that I was going to buy was going to be waterfowl related because on the environment was pretty wet and it would probably suit the deer hunting that I was going to do. Um, and I can honestly tell you that after nine days of living in Sitka waders, sleeping in them, busting brush in them, uh, and everything else, they still, to, to this point have zero leaks. I got zero blisters and I was never cold in them. Um, they were worth every penny I paid. Uh, glad I've got them in my arsenal now. I, I, you know, I looked at that from the standpoint of they'll support the waterfowl. So what other gear do I need? I was going to bring the shotgun, but the decoys were a big problem. And I started looking up a lot of how do you hunt waterfowl on in Alaska? And I, I don't know if you guys seen those meat eater episodes, but he goes up to the, the waterfowl area in Fairbanks. He goes up to that area. Um, yeah. And like, so that's kind of traditional type, you know, what you and I would think about, but down on the coast um, with the sea ducks, they, they hunt them from the shore where they just throw out a handful of decoys. I mean, when we sit down, you know, it's funny, you sit here and think like, oh, diver spreads, I need five dozen decoys, like minimum to, to hit the diver spread. I started watching videos in Alaska and they're like, uh, we carry like a dozen, two dozen in a, in a bag and we throw them out and we hunt from the shore and we shoot our Harlequin, we shoot our golden eye and everything else. So I got to look in and my problem was the checked luggage. So I looked at these fold up decoys. Um, I looked up for anything compact. I was going to buy, I was literally going to buy two dozen of anything that I could pack in a bag and check on an airliner that wasn't going to cost me terrible amounts of money. And the FUDs were the best thing. I don't know. Have you guys seen those before I talked to you about them? Have you seen those, Matt? Uh, are they like a specific brand or? No, I mean, they're, they're the, yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're called fold-up decoys and apparently they're sponsored by like the NRA. I, I don't know who actually okay. makes the things. I mean, I've seen inflatable decoys before and like packables and stuff from different brands. Um, Dakota, White Rock, stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever seen those before you started, you know, you shot us that, that picture of them. So I looked up the, the inflatables, the Cherokees, and I couldn't find them in any quantity, you know? And I, I think that there's, for, for one reason, I think that there's not a huge market for this kind of thing, right? I mean, like, why would anybody need this, um, even for the most dedicated walk-in hunters? But I found these fold-up decoys, which are basically like, just imagine silhouettes. Like you've got two silhouettes and a centerpiece and they're made of neoprene and they basically just pop out. They have a fold-up head, and a, and a metal keel. And I, I found those and I bought 18 of them and I figured that'd be enough. And they packed down to fit in my cooler. So I what could carry, did you, what did you use for weights? So they came with it. So that, that was the other, they, they were a very small, like basically steel disc that came as weights, which to be honest, they weren't very good for anything highway. I ended up losing like four or five decoys in that one windstorm. Um, because I had them just out near the camp and they blew away and they weren't, they weren't great for, for high current situations, but they were fantastic for what I ended up using them for. And they, they pop out and they have a metal piece. So they, they fold out basically a paper airplane. You connect the two neoprene pieces, centerpieces, and then you fold this metal piece in between them and it locks everything into place. And then they come with these little, maybe three and a half by two inch metal discs that you tie on with string they provide in the kit. 
And there you go. Like you've got a pop-up decoy, if you will, you know, a fold-up decoy. They come with a carry hook and everything else. And and I, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't hunt these things day in, day out, like every weekend. But for what I ended up using them for, from a travel standpoint, they were perfect. I mean, they were big. And I had my I had my questions about them. I was like, All right, well, you know, what else am I going to bring? I can't bring full-size decoys. This is what I'm bringing. <laughs> so I bought them. I threw them in the bag. And when I got up to Kodiak, the, the second day I woke up and like I said, I couldn't go far from camp, but we were camped right on the edge of this lake. And that night, and I told the guys in the camp, that night we were laying in the tents and I could hear the ducks flying over. You hear that whistle on their wings flying over. And I was like, oh man, I told them we were sitting there eating dinner. I was like, there's ducks in this lake. I'm going to slay them. Like, I'm like for, for two for two or three days, so they're just like. "What did And what did those guys think of you duck hunting? Because I got to imagine um they don't necessarily you know you were there to hunt they were there to hunt grizzlies and so, i thought maybe that would scare them away i don't know no so actually strange thing the grizzlies there are attracted to gunshots um and proof is in the pudding in the story i'm going to tell you know to answer thomas's question but gunshots don't scare them off there. They actually, the grizzly bears, because they're the apex predator on the island, they, they associate that with food, actually. Like, they hear a gunshot, and that's going to mean either a, a dead pile. animal or a gut pile. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, I was, I, I did talk it over with them. You know, I told everybody, I said, hey, I'm here to support 100% a grizzly bear hunt. You know, the guy that was, that draw that drew the tag, um, I asked him very early on the planning. I said, Hey, you know, what's your, what, you know, this is your hunt. This is your deal. I'm here as a support element to you. What's your philosophy? And, you know, he talked to me about it. I says, if I come up and duck hunt, he's like, no problem. You know, we're, we're covering 10 square miles a day. I'm not, ter- I'm not terribly worried about the duck hunting. Uh, if you do that around camp or whatever else. So, you know, that's why I brought it along. They weren't bothered by it in short. So. Did they think you were a weirdo? <laughs> uh, you know, they didn't think, no, they didn't think I was a weirdo. They weren't duck hunters per se. One of the guys there is what I would call duck curious. You know, he was like, hmm, maybe this is something that I could be interested in. I've never seen it before. He came out with me one day, had a good time. So I think we we built another waterfowl hunter there. But they uh, they they just, they didn't know a lot about it. You know, they were, this guy grew up hunting elk in Colorado and moose and stuff in Alaska, big game, just a different breed, if you will. And so the fact that I was talking about coming up there and wanting to shoot ducks, he was like, I mean, I guess it sounds like a good time. Like go for it. <laughs> I don't know what that means. So they were, they were into it for sure. So did anybody get a grizzly? Oh man, we got close. We got real close, but no, the, the short answer is no. Um, you know, so, you know, Thomas, you were asking about the the grizzly bear part of it. So the way the hunting up there works is with the grizzlies, you you go out and you glass. It's very similar to what I consider to be like a lot of other forms of Western hunting. You glass, you see them, you stalk them, and, and you go after them. So after my sleeping bag comes up on the fourth day, the bush pilot sends me a message on the satellite phone and says, Hey, we're going to get your bags in today. And that's when I figured out what Santa Claus actually looks like. Santa Claus is actually a bush plane landing on your lake um, with your gear. And so I was like back in full business 
uh, on day four when they brought all that back in because I had my pack, I dry. We, he brought the propane, we were good to go. So we get out the next day, we glass this bear, it's about a mile and a half away. And he decides he wants to, you know, we're going to stock this bear. And it was about two and about 12 in the afternoon. Sunset, by the way, up there is around 4.30, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon. So we, we set off to stock this bear and we, we cross the river. The, the terrain is pretty inhospitable from the sense of like five and a half foot tall grass. So the grass came up to my chin. I'm six foot two. The grass was up to my chin. There's alders and stuff. You, you, you know, you can't see a lot in front of you. So we get across the, we get across. Uh, and I went with him because I was of the three people there. I'm the one that had hunted them before, uh, bears before. And so, you know, I talked to him a little bit. It's like, all right, what are we going to do? And this is the plan. Sweet. We're going to go do this. So get up to the top of this ridge. And from the perspective we were glassing, we saw this bear all day long is milling around on the side of this mountain digging up roots and everything else and seem pretty stable. You know, these grizzlies aren't moving a whole lot very far during the day. They kind of are in their range. Once we get up there, what we see is, is that there's this nice gully and there's a lot of shielded area. And when we get up to the top of this ridge, we see this blacktail buck. And knowing that the bears will come to the sound of a gunshot, we talk through like, well, should we shoot at the buck? Um, if we shoot the buck, then we can basically hunt the buck, if you will, um, and see if like the grizzly comes around. After this debate comes down, I get a shot at this buck, and it was about it was covered up to its 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 chin in the weeds. I take a suboptimal shot and miss. At least I think I miss it. And and when I take that shot, we start to walk towards it. And as we're walking towards this, where we think we shot this deer i see the grass move about five yards in front of me and i just it was very it was very subtle yeah the guy that i was with he was he's about four inches or five inches shorter than me his eyes were right at grass level so he couldn't really see it moving um and i and i stopped for a second i was like hmm what's that grass and as soon as i stopped and looked um this 10 foot tall grizzly bear stands up on its hind legs about five yards from us like just steps up nope nope n o p e (laughs) that that grizzly bear stands up on its hind legs and it looks at us and i mean guys it's like everything you'd see in national geographic i think it's got its ears cocked it's like it's looking at what we are and i and i look at the guy i've got my rifle pointed at this bear and i look at him and i say there's the bear found the bear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like what and he turns and looks and and he turns and he sees this bear standing up and i i guys i'm not exaggerating one iota here that thing was five yards away from us um that he he lets out a string of explicatives brings the gun up his scope is zoomed all the way in he can't see he brings it down we start backpedaling and I start trying to create some distance between him and myself. And I'm like, it, it, and you know, I've got, like I said, I've, I've hunted bears before, before I ever went out into the field, you go through kind of a sequence of events when you're hunting predators, you know, like you sit there and you go, if I get this, this is what's going to happen. If I do this and you, and you try to war game that as much as you can, but I can tell you that 
there's no amount of wargaming that can prepare you for the moment that it actually happens when they're like, there it is. Like, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, he's like, Oh, I'm looking at the scope. It's like, I mean, that's, you just take your finger along the edge of the barrel and shoot. But of course I say that in my armchair here, you know? Well then, then Ben, you're faced with the dilemma though. As soon as you shoot again, you're going to get even more bears come to you. (laughs) That's how I'm imagining. Yeah. I feel like, I, th- I feel like Matt is has not left the airport uh, on this on this hunt. So. No, I'm I'm in my kayak shooting ducks. <laughs> safe, safe, surrounded by water. I will I will tell you that my 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 you know my mental vision of this, and uh, I've I've been out bear hunting a few times, and the, what I figure is the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario you've got with the bear is is that it's cornered and it's injured. Um. And that you stand between it and freedom, you know, like that, that is, and, 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 oh, by the way, that it recognizes you as the threat to it. And so like when you have that in your mind's eye and you've kind of played through that scenario, then you could kind of mentally prepare yourself to some extent to what you see, like when this thing stands up. And so I was one, I was happy that the guy that I was with had also done that kind of mental preparation for himself. You know, he had already kind of thought through what he would do if this, then that, because I think the worst case scenario would be that either one or the both of us would have panicked and put a round into this thing that had been less than effective. And now you're in a very no win scenario, you know, like now you're in a position where this, this, you know, potentially a thousand pound animal is going to come at you and do some real damage with you having no ability to stop that. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just yawned. So why, why then that's how boring your bear story was. Um, <laughs> all right. So why didn't it attack you then? Um, I, I don't know that I'd ever be able to like answer that question, but I, I just don't understand how you're there hunting like grizzly bears and there's one at five yards and there's a able-bodied American with a loaded one in the round ra- like one in the chamber, you know, like how one didn't get, how there wasn't a dead bear. Just weird. So, so like after that bear stood up the first time, um, you know, he looked at it we, we both kind of were like, all right, you know, like I didn't. So here's the other important part. Like I don't have the initiative in this. So in Alaska, like it's illegal. Like I can't shoot that bear unless I feel threatened from defense and life and property. You Man, know, like, I would have had several rounds in that bear. Two, 200 <laughs> yards. That bear would have been shot at. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, like that's, that's my bubble. <laughs> that's, that's the my grizzly bear bubble is <laughs> quite large. So, you know, like he, I mean, like it was kind of, it was on him to make that judgment call. And in my mind's eye, I wasn't going to do anything unless I specifically felt threatened, like me personally. Now, when that thing stood up at five yards and looks at us to say, I didn't feel threatened is, is, you know, not wholly accurate, but just, but I was at a point of evaluating. So the thing goes back down into the, into the weeds. I could still see where it's moving. It closes about another two yards to us. Um, and I, I asked the guy very calmly, he's like, you're going to shoot that bear. Like, you're going to, like, there's the bear. You're going to shoot this bear. That bear stands up again, like pops up again. And it's looking at us and, and it, it's weird. You know, I don't speak grizzly bear, but it was, you could tell that it 
couldn't quite ascertain what it was looking at. You know, whether it was like, there's two different things here. It doesn't know what the threat could be. Uh, there's kind of a curious moment between all of us. And I, I was like, and so at that point, when it stood up the second time, I said, if this thing closes any more distance, I'm putting a round of my rifle into it. I'm dropping it. And then I'm I, on my side, I had my Glock 40, which is the 10 millimeter. I've got 16 rounds in it, which let's be honest, guys, like realistically, if a bear is coming at you, you're going to get one round. Um, and if you can possibly unsheathe your, your personal sidearm, you might get one or two more in. And you could go read all about that in the forums. Like you're not, you're not, there's no of this, like you're going to get a lot of, you're not going to put this thing down before it closes that on you. You know, you're, you're going to get hurt if that's what it comes to. Yeah. People, you know, they ask you like, Dan, why would you ever need a modern sporting rifle? I just never need an assault rifle. I just found a reason. <laughs> I mean, I would have loved, I would have loved to have not had a bolt action 308 just then. It would have been nice to be able to put more than one into it. But I had already made up in my mind, like if this thing starts coming at me, what my course of action was going to be. And at that point, I was just going to hope that the guy I was with, you know, one, my one hope was going to be that the rounds that I put in the bear would stop it eventually. Or two, that if they didn't, the guy that I was with would put more into it and stop it too. So that was the conclusion. You have a third option there, Alex. Don't be there. Uh, no, yeah. he could run slower than you. Uh, <laughs> in this terrain, you're not running. <laughs> you know I mean? Oh, trip, trip him up, you know. Yeah. I, I, that was, but that was, I guess, how clairvoyant my decision cycle was when this happened. I was like, there it is. Yeah. This is my plan. <laughs> um, now, after it dropped after the second time and he didn't shoot at it, the bear actually moved laterally at that point. It moved away from us and opened some distance. At that point, I was like, okay, I don't think it's coming at us. Um, he didn't take a shot at it at that point. There was only one very small window that he could have um, had conditions been optimal. And then it, and it actually it's, it stood up one more time couldn't figure out what it was a little bit further and then came down and then it ran after that about 200 yards or so. Like we never saw it again. And so, um, yeah, that was, you know, we talked about it a lot after, you know, that experience, you know, his, you know, in his mind's eye, the way he saw it was, is that it was better to do what we did than shoot and wound it um, and potentially have it, determine us as a threat and then attack. You know, it's better for something to determine, like to, to figure we are a threat and then not have it confirmed. And, and that's something, you know, if any of you guys are out there ever going to do some predator hunting or big game hunting, and when I say big game, I mean something that's actually going to like come at you with teeth. You have to do some reading about that because, you know, like black bears, grizzly bears, panthers, cougars, mountain lions, like any of those things um, that have an ability to get you back, you have to go through kind of what those options are because it truly is a 50 50 game in a lot of those respects. And in hindsight, debriefing myself on, on if everything I did was correct. Um, you know, I, 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 I attributed, I, I think it was a 50 50 scenario. You know, I look at it as that bear could have continued at us. Um, in which case I would have put around into it and seen how far I can get, or it was going to do what ultimately ended up happening. And, and for that reason, I'm not upset about the actions we took. We walked away from it. You know, like we went back to camp that night in one piece, um, which I don't think very many people can say after a five and a half, you know, five yard encounter with a Kodiak grizzly bear. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think my I think my pants would have been a little bit heavier after that thing stood up. Dude, it's it was a life. I, you know, to say it was a life changing experience might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I will tell you that the line of questioning that goes through your mind of like, you don't. It's funny you you sit here and you think about the things you would ask yourself, um, or what you would do. And armchair quarterbacking, I can tell you, is way easier than when it actually happens. You're like, oh, there's the bear. I mean, that's exactly what went through my mind. I was like, there's the bear. Found it. It's right here. Like, I see it. <laughs> it's, um, and at that point, your options are fairly you know, binary. You're either going to shoot or you're not. Um, and then you're going to go from there. All right. I'll stick to ducks. Yeah, ducks don't come back at you. So. Well, Thomas can attest to that, though. They, they will occasionally hit you. Geese are the worst. Yeah, geese, <laughs> geese seem to have a vengeance. Ducks are a little bit uh, more innocent. Yeah. Thomas, you got hit in the head by a goose? Yeah, I got my, <laughs> got my clock cleaned once. Oh, man, you didn't... Uh... You didn't just barehand it like old Bobby Guy, your guys' model. <laughs> no, I, uh, I really, I think it probably would have broken broken my hand if I had tried to <laughs> tried to catch that one. If you guys haven't seen this, you have to check this video out. It's it's what is it called, Thomas? Like Kamikaze Goose on your channel? Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's the title. I think I watched it before I knew. you. You. Yeah. He, so he pulls up on this goose and he shoots it and he goes to shoot another one. Doesn't look this goose and you see it in his GoPro just comes right at him, knocks him out and he gets up and he's like, I think I have a concussion. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Wait, it knocked you out, Thomas? Like it yeah, knocked him out. It put me out cold for about No, it knocked me out. I oh. was out for like four or five seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shoot. If you if, when you watch the video, there's like a pause. You hear a thud, and then there's a pause, and then I like come to my senses. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah. you guys I have to check that out. That was, well, yeah, it, no, went, it went viral. They they took the clip. Was it Barstool Sports or something? Shared it or uh, some yeah. some social media site shared it, and it had a whole bunch of views. Yeah, it got shared around pretty good. It was just one of those once-in-a-lifetime things, I think. I don't think you can uh, plan that one out. Um, how far into the video is it? Uh, like six minutes. Six-minute mark. Six-minute mark. Okay. I would still take that goose any day of the week. Yeah, I would take Over the grizzly bar? Yeah. Yeah, I would take. That's good, at least. Yeah, no, I was, I would, uh, I would take, I would take getting hit in the head again (laughs) over having a grizzly bear at five yards. (laughs) Oh my god, dude! It went straight to an ad right as the goose was like coming. What a (laughs) clickbaiter, Jeez, Thomas! I swear those YouTubes, yeah, right, yeah, what you YouTubers. Throwing in your ads everywhere. I know how it goes. What's what's the bag that it's looking at now? What turkey? That was a uh, that was a bag of dog treats. Um, 
that my buddy had out there. We couldn't figure that out for the longest time. We spent the longest time trying to figure out what that GoPro landed on. Because when that when the goose hit me, it sheared off the GoPro mount, um, like from it from the uh, base. It was pretty crazy. Watch it; it's flapping as it's. <laughs> My my uh, my biggest regret from that day is that I had a GoPro that was facing in the blind, like it it was faced in at us, and that had died about five minutes prior to when that goose hit. I may have just got hit in the head by a goose. Was your nose broken, or does it always look like that? <laughs> no, it always looked like that. Uh, we had, well, actually, it did get broken, but that was right from over. baseball, not the goose. We, we shot okay. Uh, yeah, for anybody that was I'm not being a jerk. Thomas's left nostril is much longer and skinnier than his right nostril. That is true. That has always been the case. Well, at least just like, and just like, uh, you know, all of Matt's shirts, um, their sleeves are much shorter than, you know, all of our shirts. Uh, second amendment, <laughs> right to bear arms. Oh boy. Oh man. Anyway. So that was glad you. Yeah. Let's get it. Get back to the uh, the. I want to get here about the ducks now that we got the grizzly bear covered. Yeah, yeah. So as far as the ducks went, so the the lake we were on, uh, you know, I, I told you the first night we were there, I could hear them like whistling overhead in the in the tent. And I was like, oh man, it's gonna be a great day. So we would go out glassing, and the days that I didn't have my sleeping bag, I was kind of left a little bit close to camp. So what I did is I set my cooler up, and I, I strung out about four of these decoys just right off the bank that I could wade into. And what I noticed is the lake we were on, because it was offset from the bay, it was only about a mile away from the bay that we were, we were on that it was a roost lake. So we, we had quite a bit of population of, of ducks leaving in the morning and coming back in the evening. And so what I did is I set up like four or five of these. And I, I, since I didn't have my duck calls, I brought two duck calls with me that were both in my pack that got left at the hotel. Instead I had on my, my, my watch, I have one of those uh, paracord bands on my G shock that has like an emergency whistle on it. So I took the, I took that, that watch band and used the emergency whistle as an impromptu uh, duck call. And, you know, just did like the, the, the Mallard Drake call on it and a couple of like teal light calls. Turns out it worked just fine because sitting there on the first night, I uh, was waiting on the, the other guys were like glassing about a couple of miles away. I had, I had, I had a whole flock of Barrows golden eyes, just pitch right in, um, look right at the, the four decoys, stop calling. I said, I couldn't believe what I was doing and had my shotgun and here they come. They, they roll right in, they land. I managed to, to shoot a Drake, uh, a Drake and a nice hen right off the, right off the end and are uh, right near my decoys and use a fishing rod to retrieve them with a big spoon. We had a, we had a fish, a couple of fishing rods there. And I couldn't wait out. So the lake dropped off. Like you go out four or five feet and it was shallow enough, uh, four or five feet from the shoreline. But after that, it just dropped straight off as a, as a kind of a deep, you know, glacier type lake. And so I ended up retrieving them with, um, with a fishing rod. And so we had several ducks come in that night. You know, we'd wake up in the morning, there'd be a few around, um, around the, the coolers where we were at, where we were camping. So I, I hunted a few that way and it, it worked pretty good and ended up getting and maybe about three that way. 
And then uh, as days went by, we focused a little bit more on the grizzly bears. You know, like I said, I was a support element to that. Well, we got snowed in one day. So I, I checked the weather on that Garmin. Uh, the Garmin inReach has a weather feature and it said, oh, there's about to be terrible snow day. We wake up one morning. It's like nearly whiteout conditions, but the ducks are still flying. And uh, I told those guys like, man, now I did know that we were on a roost lake. And after a couple of days, so even though we were out scouting bears, I would always, you know, in my break time, take a look over at one of the ends of the lake to see where these ducks were hanging out. And it, and it was absolutely a roost. Like, you know, in the middle of the day, it was pretty much empty. Uh, but starting about an hour and a half or two before sunset, you'd see flocks of these ducks moving in off the bay, coming off high alpine lakes. There was, there was a handful of lakes above us that you know, we're at about the 1600 foot mark. They started to ice over the last part of our trip there. So these ducks would come down where we were at and they would roost. And I didn't want to disturb the roost for the first few days. So I, in my mind's eye, I was, was going to say, I just, all I hear is Alex is a roost shooter. <laughs> well, so with that in mind, I, I did say that like I, I hunted away from the corner of the lake that they were roosting for the first three or four days. So the days that I shot my ducks were I was away from the, they were hunting they were they were hunkering down in a very specific corner of the lake that was always shielded from the wind and always shielded from the weather. You know, they were they were going into this corner. And so where I set up near the camp for the first few days, I was not shooting the roost in the truest sense of the word. And I, I did tell I saw two drunk before the one hit me in the head. Oh, well, you got But I did, I did tell the guys that like, all right, the last two days that we're here, I'm going to go shoot that corner. Like I'm going to go set up on that corner for an evening hunt and see what happens because we were seeing a lot of mallards coming in. There's a ton of big green heads uh, and a lot of golden eyes. I saw one flock of Harlequins that never got within a gunshot of the shoreline. They stayed pretty far out. It was, it was sad, man. It was really sad, but you know, it is what it is. So the, the second to last day we had a, the whiteout snowstorms and uh, I, I rigged up all the decoys and we went down to that corner that night and ended up shooting a couple of mallards that, that were blizzard. I mean, we had a lot of, the problem was not necessarily shooting them. The problem was retreating them, you know, like with the prevail, like the, where the winds were. So the way I was, I, the, the reason I was able to get those golden eyes because the wind was blowing towards us, you know, like they, they actually landed with the wind. And so when I shot them, I didn't feel that bad. I was like, if I shoot them, they're going to blow up on shore versus if they're, if the wind's blowing offshore, which is usually what you want for duck hunting, right? You usually want the wind at your back, you know, going towards you. So they land facing you. The problem is if you have no way to retrieve them, they're going to blow away. And in this case, I had absolutely no means to retrieve a duck that blew away from me. And so I had a lot of opportunity to shoot ducks that I didn't take because I, I couldn't have retrieved them. Like I couldn't have gotten them if I had my fishing rod or anything else. I didn't have a boat. I had no kayak. I had no raft. Like there was no way to go get them. And so that, that second to last day when I was out there, set up this great spread. We have a ton of mallards land in. It was, it was great. I mean, it was like textbook what you would want duck hunting to be. Um, I shot this beautiful mallard drake. I was super excited about it. And the way the wind was going, I was like, man, I'm going to go out and get it. I waited two hours standing out there in chest deep water for this thing to blow. And the wind changed direction. And it just hovered out in the middle of this lake. And I could not go get it. 
Uh, I debated. Uh-huh. I, I am not kidding you. And I was like, man, if I take my waders off, I could probably like swim out there. I get this thing. But there was like, you know, when you're, when you're in a situation where getting dry and like sleeping dry because there's no house to go to is a real threat. Um, I, I waited out there until dark and I couldn't, I couldn't get that thing. And after that, I decided that as, as much as I love shooting the ducks out there and as much as the opportunity was there to shoot the greenheads, I, I, I couldn't justify losing half of what I shot. You know, like if, if you're at, you know, if you're out there and you're like, I could shoot, you know, maybe I shoot one or two and I can walk out and get it. But if I shoot four, like two are not going to be within reach. And then the wind isn't going to blow them where I need them to go. And, and, and at that point, it's not really worth it. So I, I hate to say my enthusiasm was a little bit shot after that, but it was. And I wasn't, I wasn't totally interested in like trying to shoot limits. You know, I got my golden eyes. was really happy. Got a couple of others that I was able to get back to camp, but that was about it. And then after I lost two because of the wind, I, I kind of stopped. So with those, um, with those golden eye, did you end up keeping those for mounting purposes or did you eat those? Cause I've always wondered about how those taste. So I got a Drake and a hen. I ended up keeping them both for a mount. Um, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And they, and you know, they had that and the Drake was full plumage, you know, great crest around his eyes. I mean, you all saw the what day? What day out of uh, the trip did did you did you shoot it? Like three day three at nine. So I ended up hanging it up. I know you and I talked about that. So I ended up putting it in a game bag and hanging it up. The temperatures were around forty, thirty-five to forty, getting down in the twenties at night. So we'll see the quality amount that it turns out. And. Uh, just for our listeners, uh, you want to throw some of those pictures up from your Alaska trip? I mean, it doesn't even sure. have to be just, I know you got some cool ones of the golden eye in particular, but just whatever you've got, you know, throw them up there. Let some people see that because that sounds like an awesome trip. Sounds like a, you know, fun time up there other than sleeping in waders and coming five yards away from a bear. Yeah. I'll, uh, yeah, I got, I'll post a few up there. It was a, you know, and I will say, you know, for anybody that's looking at doing a duck trip up there of all the game in Alaska that you can go pursue, uh, waterfowl is one of the more non-resident friendlies up there you can do. Um, there's, there's several services out there that do, you know, the, the luxury packages that you're going to find on the outdoor channel and everything else. But there's a lot of other places that you can go and do a DIY waterfowl hunt there. And I was, I was pretty surprised about what I was able to do on my own um, from a waterfowl standpoint, the abundance of the birds that were there. I mean, it was nothing like what I think it would be. It was nothing like what I saw in some of the other places where I sat down and there's just mountains of birds piling on me. I was hunting a roost lake. You know, I kind of knew where I was and what I was doing and the limitations that went with it. But if you guys are considering a trip to go out for those kinds of birds, I'd say that it's probably more accessible than you think it is. And I'm already kind of planning a trip. I've got a friend of mine that lives up in Fairbanks right now, and I'm already kind of planning a trip for going up there and, and hunting up around some of those marshes um, in Fairbanks, because from what I understand, they're pretty loaded and you know, it's a good, it's a good experience. So you may look into it. um, And the prices by the way, are also, surprisingly achievable you know alaska airlines flies to just about everywhere up there um at at, at things that are what i would consider to be fairly affordable compared to other places so 
Now, real quick, and I know we're kind of we're going up on two hours here, uh, but you did say you had a fishing rod. I I am kind of curious. Did you go fishing? Did you catch anything? Yeah, I went, I went fishing a couple of times. Um, the lake that I was in was not terribly known for its fishing. I did catch one rainbow trout. It was it was fairly small. Um, the lake that I was on, now I will say in Kodiak, there are several lakes and fisheries that are known for steelhead, uh, salmon, trout. Uh, so the lake I was on was was not as well known for that. And so I did hook up with one trout. So we did bring, you know, I fished a little bit, but I can't say that I was very serious about it. I didn't go out and like dedicated fish. You know, as soon as the days that I didn't have my sleeping bag, I was sitting around camp and I was glassing the mountains around us for deer and bears um, with an occasional look at waterfowl. Uh, the days that I had my sleeping bag back, we were focused on getting grizzly bears. And so my time for fishing was a little bit limited, but uh, you know, I did it occasionally just to see what I could do if I, if I got bored around camp on those days that, that I was out, but no, the fishing opportunities there are super abundant though. And I'm planning a trip right now, in the springtime for salmon and halibut. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I've, uh, my buddy up there is looking at buying a boat right now. And I have another friend who has a boat and they're like, Oh, anytime you want to come up here to Anchorage, you just buy your airfare and we'll take you out. So I, I think that's, that's an opportunity I'm going to take them up on. So. All right. Good deal. That's all I've got. This was a long night, boys. Hearing all Alex's stories. Oh, that's awesome! That's yeah, awesome trip. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's really unique. I think uh, I you know I I think it would have been um, a very big missed opportunity um, for you to have not shot some ducks out there. And I'm oh. glad that like I'm glad that like you were able to get it done in like some sort of capacity, like with with fold up, you know, decoys and, and, you know, thousand dollar waiters and, <laughs> and, you know, well, I could, I could fishing rods, a fishing rod, Labrador, you know, like, well, I could tell you that after nine days, um, I cannot, I cannot laud the sickest stuff enough, but I will say that it is very, you know, Ben, to go to get after what you and I have talked about before. If if you're not going into those places and doing that kind of thing, it is absolutely not required. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that that is what you need to go and kill ducks. It, yeah, because I mean, like you couldn't have done that with my waiters. I won't lie. I'm and, not going to, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I will say that when I was, and and this is in total keeping with the philosophy I've had about my gear, you know, you've got to you've got to have the gear for the conditions that you're going to find yourself in, and and what you can, um, and what that gear might potentially be doing for you. And I can say that after what I experienced there, you know, like yeah, it was it was really not great not having sleeping bags, but the fact that I had the clothing that I had that made it to where I could make it through a night, get up in the morning and continue to be a part of the team that was out there hunting. Um, that's a testament to the quality of that, that gear. Um, additionally, I mean, nine days, I wore those waders, like I said, 10, 10 hours a day. I mean, from the time I got up in the morning, went out of the tent, it was soaking wet and that's what you put on. 
until I went to bed that night and I was hot. I was hiking easily three to five miles a day. Um, in those waders, the day that we stocked the grizzly, I stocked those, I stocked the grizzly in those waders. And I think I did nine miles that day. Um, no blisters, no, no nothing. And, and never got cold and never anything like that's a pretty good piece of equipment. That's a good piece of gear that you can rely on for it. So, you know, if you're going to go do that, I'd say pay attention to what you're investing in. I don't think it's a requirement. I think that if you're going to spend the money uh, or if you're looking at spending the money on something like that, then I've got absolutely no qualms with Sika and glad that I, I bought it before that trip. I will say that the warranty on the Sika waiters is it, it, it's a it's a great deal from that aspect because what is it? it's lifetime warranty if I'm correct right yeah minus like what they consider to be wear and tear um, but you can send them in for like a hundred bucks and they fix that right yeah yeah I mean and, and I'll tell you I busted alders I busted willows all kinds of thorny crap that existed uh, on the sides of those hills on the last day I waded up to the edge of the waders to try and retrieve a decoy. Um, and there was zero leaks the the whole time. Oh, so. The only missed opportunity I think that you had with with your duck hunting is that I wish you were going to tell me, oh yeah, I use rocks as the weights. I, <laughs> I was really waiting for that. I mean, you could have. Uh, mine just came with an option for weights that I didn't need to use rocks. But all right, boys, should we uh, should we get this wrapped up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any closing thoughts? Go Thomas. Uh, I like the, uh, I like the story, Alex. I, um, I definitely, I think it, that reminds me of how easy us mid-continent or, you know, mid-latitude hunters have it. The guys up North, you got grizzly bears coming in whenever you're shooting guys down in Florida, got gators and all that other stuff. So, kind of just reminds me how nice we do have it in Virginia compared to some places. Yeah, it was, um, you know, for any of you out there that are looking at getting into what I would consider to be predator hunting, I would say that it, it is a different dimension um, that, that really has, it, it's, it'll, it'll change your view on the outdoors for sure. Matt closer. Uh, yeah, let's go Huskers. Let's finally get our first win this year. It's been rough, uh, but we got football. We've got duck hunting. I'm in heaven right now. So yeah, hopefully we can pull out our first win. Wanted to take this, uh, you know, with you saying that to you know, give a big thank you to Wisconsin for you know giving us a bye week after, you know, multiple multiple weeks of not having football while the rest of the country had football and then you know wisconsin of course pulls out yeah and i guess one one other thing is you know just want to give a special thank you to our veterans as we are recording this on veterans day thank you for all you guys have done in the past and continue to do for our great country uh yeah we cannot thank you guys enough all right well, uh, what Thomas? You didn't want to thank me for my service. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, no. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your service, you and Alex. Both. Uh, well, uh, Thomas, you know I'm still waiting on my invitation down to your badass uh, duck pond you've built down there. So, eat a pond. 
It's uh, unfortunately, I think that pond is uh, kind of uh, done for this year. But uh, why? I got a good what? Because well, I mean, it's just because of the water level. I don't, I don't, I didn't have any way to really control the water level, so it came up too quick there in October, and that millet does not stick around if uh, it gets flooded out. We'll talk offline. I'm incredibly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait see so you had too much water yeah which actually i never guessed would be a problem given that we took like three feet of water out of that pond but somehow you know we had just an incredibly wet september so uh, we got fl- flooded out pretty good well then all right will... ben close us out here okay um hey guys thanks and gals excuse me thanks for uh listening and we're glad to be back sorry for the delay um and uh let's all just keep thomas in our in our thoughts and prayers as he you know continues to um go to college and intermingle with co-eds during this covid time (laughs) rough life yeah really uh schlepping it out here (laughs) (laughs) all right boys i will see you guys next week yeah bye Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast Group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv